Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome. It's so great to have all of you tune us. Tune us in. Tune in. Turn us on. Um, the other day, you heard us talk about the fact that we're getting ready to do some crowdfunding for our technology platform. And you, many of you are thinking, why would these people that own Transformation Talk Radio, why would they be interested in a technology platform about AI? Why would they be doing that? Well, look, here we are today. One of the things we've known as being one of the first in the world to do an internet talk radio show over 15 years ago, we know how important technology is. Today, Gabe Greenberg, joining me here today, is going to give us not just a sneak peek, but we're going to get some information about what new technology showcased at the Los Angeles TV Innovation Week. Get ready for what I call the inside of the outside scoop. Gabe, it's great to have you here today. Thank you for having me on the show. Um, so let's talk about this this event in L.A. and what we mean by TV innovation. Um, I think many people might be familiar with the idea that now you can watch a channel. Let me just give you an example, like like the CW, and then all of a sudden what you have from that is this new Internet streaming channel on the sidebar of that you know, something for people to look at and do differently. Give me your, if you would, give me your idea about what we mean when we talk about innovation and TV. Sure, sure. Um, so the, the event actually is going to be covering both television and different innovation topics. Um, but to answer your question, um, when we talk about innovation in TV, um, it's interesting you mentioned AI. Um, one of the innovations in television is the use of AI in the over-the-top or connected television world to help consumers um, figure out what shows are, are most likely going to be interesting to them, um, you know, as opposed to having to browse a library of, of 5,000 shows, a platform may surface the top five or 10 that you're likely to have interest in. Yeah. Um, there's the use of blockchain um, in, in to help manage privacy and in new television viewing, um, especially in internet delivered television. So, mm-hmm. You know, there are a number of different you know, innovations happening, not the least of which and, and the most obvious is just that you can now watch television instead of just through linear television on, you know, through your cable provider or over the air. You can now watch television um, via the Internet on things like Hulu or Tubi or you know, other Internet delivered television platforms. 
Yeah. I mean, it, it, it doesn't seem like it, but let's just take a quick trip down memory lane. It wasn't very long ago when that ability wasn't made available to the public and a lot of things have changed, right? And certainly yeah. you as CEO of, uh, of Gabcom is something that, you know, having that organization you're out there celebrating the industry innovators, and this is something for us to take a look at. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Um, uh, first of all, I want to talk about when the event is, but more importantly, what is the impact urgency? And let me tell you what I mean by the impact urgency. You know, we're at a particular point in time now where there is an evaluation of impact for getting information, having it be accurate, and knowing what to do with it. Can you give me a sense of what you've seen that is visionary in your perspective? Sure. Um, so, you know, th that's a pretty big question. Um, visionary as it relates to media and marketing or visionary as it relates to television? What, what do you mean? It's hard to separate them these days, though, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about marketing. Sure. Sure. So, you know, visionary as it relates to marketing, I mean, there's so many great things happening, um, you know, I, I, both on just messaging and strategy, as well as the application of technology. So, you know, we're seeing incredible work done by, you know, folks like Deborah Meyer or the CMO of General Motors or Fernando Machado, the CMO of Burger King in terms of applying new technologies, you know, in the automotive world, for example, to be able to, um, you know, shop in real time for an automobile and perhaps just have it delivered to your front door as opposed to having to go to a dealership or, you know, in the retail or, um, uh, QSR, the, the restaurant space, being able to, you know, supply your order before you arrive and either have it waiting for you when you arrive at a restaurant or have it delivered to you. I mean, these these things seem so obvious and intuitive for yeah. us today, but the the technology that allows these things to happen behind the scenes is so important and and really is is changing the way in which consumers interact with brands yeah. every day. Yeah. Well, look, there's an upcoming event, and I want to talk about that because it's kind of – it yeah. really is cool. Um, uh, first of all, we're talking about November 11th for the event, correct? November 11th and 12th. That's right, at the Beverly Hills Hotel in uh, Beverly Hills, California. Okay. So tell us about the event and tell us about, you know, what the – the features are of the event. And what I mean by that is, you know, beyond awards, there are speakers, there are things that happen at an event such as this, which really bring innovation to the uh, average everyday person. That's right. That's right. So, you know, it's, it's an event for anyone interested in media, marketing, advertising, technology, or just wanting to see what's happening and changing in those areas. So, um, you know, that's the, a two-day event. Day one kicks off with an event specifically, a closed-door event, just for senior marketers. Um, it's, you know, a forum for them to share and learn with one another and talk about some of the biggest challenges facing the market. That's followed on November 11th by an awards dinner and gala reception 
Um, and then day two is really three, three stages of content, um, television and video stage, main stage, and then an innovation stage, um, you know, from 8 a.m. till about 5.30, 6 o'clock p.m., talking about all things that are changing and shaping the media marketing, broadcast, and advertising communities. So, for example, we have uh, the, the, the head of a president of Fox joined by the chief media officer from RPA, an advertising agency here in California, and um, the head of consumer brand marketing for the NFL, talking about the trends that are changing live sports. So you know, a lot of people tend to think that television viewing is down and you know television is dying. Um, if actually you've been paying attention, NFL viewership is, is back on the rise. I think it's up mm-hmm. 16 or 17 percent on Thursday nights and nearly 10 percent on Sundays. And so those those leaders will talk about you know what's what's leading to that change. Are consumers sort of burned out on the internet? Are they tired of um, internet overload? And are they coming back to TV? Or are there other mm-hmm. trends shaping that? We've yeah. got marketers from Mattel and Mastercard and Ford Motor Company and uh, Formula E Racing and you know many many other. There's over 40 speakers across the three stages. And, you know, hundreds of executive leaders, CEOs, CMOs, and heads of major, major, you know, brands, broadcasters, and startups attending. Yeah. One of the things I was talking with a friend of mine about um, was just this very issue. And I think that one of the greatest changes that we've seen in the industry, I'll say five years, but it's actually less than that, is the change in the providers in terms of their ability to provide people with recording and not charge them and to right. really allow for the recording of television, movie, whatever, whatever you want, just let's just call it recording to allow sure. that in a way that you can get an abundance of these recording. And I think that's a massive change in the industry because I remember not too long ago, you had to pay extra for that. And, yeah. and now these companies that are the providers, you know, of television in your house let's call it they're they're yep. they're tying into the internet what what do you what do you think uh that you, for people first of all how can folks find out more about this and then it's sure. important that we get involved in this because you know as as consumers we don't think we have a choice but we really do absolutely you do yeah so to learn more about the event, you can visit gabcon.com, which is G-A-B-B-C-O-N as in Nancy.com. Click on the events tab and all of the information for LA TV and Innovation Week is there. Um, and again, the event is November 11th and 12th in Beverly Hills. And there are people coming from all over the world for the event. It's just it's not just a West Coast event. It's really mm-hmm. meant to celebrate the West Coast, but um, not not purely a West Coast event at all. And, um, you know, another quick link, if people are familiar with Bitly, is you can just go to bit.ly, so bit.ly slash L-A-T-V-I-W in all caps. And that's a very quick and easy way just to get to the event information. Um, but, yeah, you're right. I mean, this is an event for everyone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we encourage you, if you're interested in learning more about the space, want to hear from, you know, major brands and CMOs about what's happening and shaping 
their future, mm-hmm. meaning the consumer's future, um, you know, be sure to grab a ticket before they sell out and uh, join us at the event. Yeah, I, I want to ask you this one last question because I was asked this by one of the listeners the other day, and it has to do with our language. One of the things I realized is, you know, one of our platforms that we're building uh, uses the term AI, and certainly yeah. we have our own acronym for it. But there are two yep. words that the average consumer doesn't really know or understand, and I think we've got to do a better job. One is AI, and the other is blockchain. Um, right. And uh, is there a simple way to describe these for people? Sure. I mean, and there are two topics we'll cover in depth at the event. Uh-huh. Um, a simple way is is tricky. So artificial intelligence or AI um, and ML or machine learning um, generally get thrown around, hand, you know, in, s- synonymously or, or, or words are interchanged. Artificial intelligence or, or machine learning, um, think of this as just a, a um, technology layer that um, learns um, about different things and informs decisions. So, for example, in television, the AI may learn what you like to watch in terms of types of content mm-hmm. and um, will therefore surface to you recommendations. You know, if you use Amazon, Amazon uses AI and, and ML pretty regularly. Um, and this is a layman's term. I mean, there there is natural, yeah. let me go into all the depth of, of different types of AI and ML. And then blockchain, if, if you've heard of Bitcoin, um, blockchain is the underlying technology used in things like Bitcoin. Simply put, um, you know, blockchain is a distributed ledger or, or a distributed number of databases, if people know what a database is, mm-hmm. um, that allow for secure transactions between counterparties or between people. So, you know, distributed, distributed databases that allow for secure transactions between people. Yeah. Probably the simplest way yeah. to explain blockchain. Um, but, you know, it, it allows for very secure transactions that um, allow in, in the media marketing world your privacy not to be violated. For example, um, it allows for transactions to happen where your credit card details can't be compromised. Um, so, you know, that's that's how and, and why. You know, at least in, in this context, blockchain mm-hmm. may be used. Yeah, and it's very important because I think in today's world, you know, saying so that your information can be secure is one of the top, should I say, I think it's the top of the list for the average person. Uh, Gabe, I want to thank you for today. Thank you. I know you've got to run off. Last question, uh, personal message. What do you want to leave us with in the website again, please? Sure. So again, I, I think that yeah, the media marketing landscape is changing both for brands and agencies benefit as well as the consumers benefit. If you care about those changes or want to learn more about those changes, this is an event that you really need to attend. Uh, and again, November 11th and 12th, Los Angeles TV and Innovation Week. You can get more information by visiting bit.ly, which is B-I-T dot L-Y slash in all caps, L-A-T-V-I-W, which stands for L-A TV and Innovation Week. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. And again, one more time for the website. Want to make sure people get there. Sure. B-I-T dot L-Y slash L-A T-V-I-W in all caps. All right. That's what we're talking about. Let's get on the forefront of this because here's the thing. 
we all want to stay connected. The, the statistics just scream that. All right. Thanks, Gabe. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. You know, you've heard us talk about upgrading our technology. And, you know, I'm not a high tech person for sure, um, but I am surrounded by people that are. And when it comes to talking about technology, the most you're going to hear from me on certain subjects is we are creating something new and different for broadcasting. Today is not that show. Today's the show where we look at the call for code, technologies created to save lives in the face of natural disasters. You know, this is where we're taking a look with Daniel Crook, Chief Technology Officer of IBM Code and Response and Call for Code. And the reason we're looking at this is we're seeing it all over the planet. You know, we're seeing uh, whether it's natural disasters in Europe, Asia, the United States, South Pacific, it doesn't matter. We are seeing situations now that require innovation and require winning solutions. There's a special event too around this, but joining me here today is somebody that's going to talk not just a lot about why it's important, but what is it and what is it that each and every one of us should know. Daniel, great to have you here. Great. Thanks for having me, Dr. Pat. Um, you know, we have found in the world we live in, when we looked at the landscape of broadcasting, what we found was that in this world, there are rarely integrated databases to help uh, a network do things. There's usually second, third, fourth, fifth party software integrated. And so there's not a real one solution. So if something happens, you're not really sure where it's happening. How do you address this in light of new technologies to make sure that what people have and are provided with get them to a place they need to be without trying to troubleshoot why the tech isn't working? Right. So one of the big challenges we do see with natural disasters is um, is communication, right? Understanding yeah. who needs what and when do they need it and where. So one of the key pieces of technology that can help solve that problem, kind of bridge it, um, includes one of last year's Call for Code winners. So Call for Code is a five-year, $30 million global initiative with a yearly competition. Last year's winner, uh, Project OWL, what they put together was a quickly deployed temporary network that helps reestablish communications, uh, just getting it from 0% to less than 1%, mm. which can still be enough to get basic messages over the network to first responders, to incident commanders, to help them direct resources to the people that need them most. Yeah, we think we don't think that that's a lot, but it really, really is. And, um, you know, when we look at this, it, it really is about identifying what kind of platforms people are now developing, but also what they're looking at in terms of an infrastructure for developing that platform. And what I mean, it's like building a house for me. You know, if I were to put it in simple terms, it's like building a house. Um, you're, you're not necessarily going to build a hot, a house based on sticks. But if you take those sticks and you grind them up into a, um, a, a something that it's a two by two by three of cement, you're good to go. 
How is this changing and what are you seeing in terms of the foundations for new tech? Right. So there's two growing trends that are happening right now that you touched on. So there's the growing threat of natural disasters. Mm -hmm. uh, they're affecting people around the world. And to counteract that, there's actually a complementary growth in the 24 million developers, software developers out there that are able to create brand new things with technology, mobile apps that get us to work, address traffic, do communications. And that same technology the same growing base, the foundations, uh, can be built upon by developers as well as people new to technology to create solutions with that to address the impact of natural disasters. And one of the key points you, you raise is open source technology is a way for everybody around the world to contribute to a particular project to improve it to the benefit of all. Mm -hmm. And even in the enterprise world, so we at IBM, we are involved in many open source communities with what could be considered our competitors. And what we do is we collaborate on the standards, the open source, so that we can build innovation on top. So for example, as companies, we're not going to reinvent the light bulb socket. We're not going to reinvent the light switch. But what we can do is create brand new innovative things with that, such as uh, smart circuits, as well as LED lights that use much less electronics, elect electricity. So it's about using that open source technology and letting people build upon it and create applications that are important to their communities and that can be scaled throughout the world through open source technology. Um, you know, you're sitting in a place where you get to see the greatest, the most innovative of things coming forward. Um, as a consumer, uh, what happens to us is we see it after it becomes a thing. What is the best way for people to stay plugged in? And and the reason I'm asking that question is, you know, many folks may have not have heard about these awards. So I think it's really important, if you wouldn't mind, just sharing a bit about how people can find out more. Sure. So um, just as with anything that might interest somebody, right, if you're interested in what powers the technology behind your smartphone, mm -hmm. uh, what sort of technology can help me learn more about something that um, I'm interested in the world. If you look into basically anything in the world right now, there's technology behind it. Mm -hmm. and you can learn about what powers it. You can learn about what, how to create an application that has buttons, that has text interfaces, and how that mobile device shares information with the cloud where you can share it with others mm -hmm. and how you can learn from others as well. So there's a whole set of technologies. There's cloud services from IBM and others. There's open standards for transferring that information. Um, HTTP, for example, is the same technology that you use from your web browser on your desktop is the one used by your, your mobile application to, um, to post tweets. Um, it's the same underlying technology. So if you want to learn how to make a difference, um, look at what your, your favorite thing is, what your passion is, and find out the technology that people are using to build those applications. And ideally you can start to learn just as I did. I didn't have a computer science background. Yeah. Uh, I learned about what was passionate to me as a political scientist when I was in college. How do I share information? How do I learn information? And that brought me back to the technology that I use day to day to make hopefully a larger impact in call for vote. Well, I know this is a short interview, so I, I want to at least get in here from your perspective. You know, some of the 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 folks that didn't make it to the winning circle, but certainly came close. What are some of the other innovations that you've seen? 
Sure. So the winning team was the solution for firefighter health. Uh, one of the runners up was a solution called Helios. Um, and they actually have created a solution for connecting caseworkers to survivors of natural disasters who may be coping with negative mental health symptoms. So they base their technology on a cognitive behavioral um, behavioral therapy. And so they've automated that to address some of the common problems, uh, some of the common um, solutions. And then keep a record and bring those to a caseworker when intervention may be required. So there's lots of great technology. That's one of the solutions. Uh, there was other ways to um, help predict some impact of wildfires by looking at um, uh, satellite images of mm -hmm. dry vegetation. So lots of great solutions from the five finalists and, thir and 30 semifinalists around the globe. Yeah. Wow. Uh, you know, look, where can people go to find out more? Because I, I really do think that it is important to stay on the pulse of things. And, you know, technology is one of those things. You know, I worked for the telephone company. And by the way, when it was called a telephone company uh, 25 years ago, and very few people know that one of the greatest products to come out of Bell Labs was, it, was its software for phones. And so, you know, the question really is, it, this is what I'm looking at today and purchasing this is what I want to be aware of exists. How can people find out more? Yeah, so they should go to callforcode.org. They'll learn about the five-year program and our partners that are helping us out, including United Nations and American Red Cross. And they'll learn about last year's winners. Um, and they'll learn about this year's winners as well. And they can go there to stay in touch about next year's competition, which we'll be announcing at the start of next year. I want to ask you one last question. What's your personal message? What, what do you want to leave us with from your perspective of all of that you see? Yeah, so we originally thought, I originally thought that developers would address solutions based on information they were getting from experts. But this year's winner in, in, in a lot of the other teams, they included teams that have come together, developers with tech skills, firefighters, nurses with their own skills related to firefighting, coming together, they can create solutions using technology that they can assemble easily and get started with quickly. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. And boy, everybody, let's get our genius on and get some innovations going. Let's take a short break, everybody. We'll see you next time. This is one of our good news segments. You know, you have heard us talk about why we are building the technology we're building, why we plan to expand, why our network is called the Transformation Network. But you know, talking about things is one thing. Doing things is another. And when I think about what it takes to be so committed to doing things in the world, to create a better world, you know, to have things that will change lives in the world, I think about my guest today, Jonathan Redford, joining us here today. Um, and this is about a new book, but it's more than that. And this is about a new book called Our Better Angels. And what is this about? It's exactly about what the network has been doing for 15 years, but in a different way. It's about looking at the virtues that will change the world. This is a book that I believe you want to not just read, but it's a blueprint for life. And it's a blueprint for how to share this with your family, because our youth really has got this going on. Joining me today, Habitat for Humanity, international CEO and author of Our Better Angels. Uh, Jonathan, welcome. It's great to have you here today. 
Thanks so much, Dr. Peck. Great to be with you. You know, um, 15 years ago when I dialed the wrong phone number and started this, my friends wanted to lock me up and have me committed. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason that that is is because it, it wasn't a vision that folks saw necessary or relevant. Fast forward today, we're now in a world that everybody can be connected. Everybody could do good things in the world. Your book, Our Better Angels, really features this, doesn't it? It really talks to the fact that we all can be warriors and champions for a better world, doesn't it? Absolutely, Dr. Pat. It, it, my hope in writing the book was to bring light to the fact that every day people can do heroic things, small and large, in their communities, and that the cumulative effect of those can be contagious. And then together we get to build the kind of communities we all want to be a part of. Look, I didn't know what I was doing when I started to do this. I just knew that I wanted to help people live life full out. Tell me about the book, and the call to action are better angels because there's got to be a call to action. And I know there is. And I know through the forward written by President Jimmy Carter, I know there's a call to action because you folks are all about action. You know, it's so true. And that's exactly my hope that, the, that reading the book, people will be inspired, but not just to feel passion, but to then go do something about it. And, and I do think... Um, President Carter, who's one of my heroes, uh, is so clear about it. He yeah. talks about how Habitat for Humanity is one of the best ways he knows, you know, first to put his faith and values into practice in a practical way, in a tangible way. But second, um, he always mentions that it's a way to cross the socioeconomic divide in, yeah. a, in a meaningful way, which is sometimes the biggest divide today. And then third, that, uh, that when you do something like this, you actually get more out of it than you put into it. And so there's a, we don't do it for that, but there's a sense of joy and purpose and, uh, and community from getting out and engaging. So I, I really hope uh, success to me would be that people read it and then go do something about it in their local community. Yeah. And let's, let's just be clear about the book. It is filled with absolutely transformative stories because we now know the power of storytelling. We knew that from launching this network. But the other thing I'm so thrilled about, and I too have looked up to President Jimmy Carter for decades, but for a different reason. I know what it's like to be homeless. I know what it's like to be on the street mm -hmm. as a 17-year-old begging for money, looking for a place to live, trying to find out how to become resourceful. I look back at that now, and it made me extremely resourceful in life. But we can't turn a blind eye to people that need help through what you're talking about. We each need to become an angel as such. You know, it's so true, Dr. Pat, and I, I didn't know that, and it is, um, so you get it. And I think one of the challenges with housing is most of us in positions of leadership never have experienced the lack of adequate housing. And so it's not visceral the way health and education are. But, but as you know, personally, if you don't have decent housing, nothing else works very well. No. Nope. Kids who, don't, who are not well housed, don't stay healthy, they don't do well in school, and then they can't lift themselves up. And so in many ways, it really is foundational uh, for all the other things we want out of life. It is so foundational. It's at the bedrock of psychology, as a matter of fact. And, you know, I, I went to school to study psychology because I didn't understand my world. 
And, you know, somebody said to me, why don't you go study it? And I said, okay. And then off I went. But I didn't learn about the world. I learned about the world from being in the world. What I learned about was what your book is about. Let's talk for a minute about the virtues, because it is the virtues I learned from angels, other people that helped me. You know, the gentleman that sh that showed up in the back of his restaurant saw me digging in a tra in a dumpster for food that came back out and handed me two hot dogs and later gave me a hot dog job in New York. But let's talk about what these virtues mean, because these are something every one of us can bring into life. Absolutely. So the seven virtues we identify, and this really came from looking at, at the experience of habitat in different contexts all around the world. But we, we, there's so many good ones, but we came down to kindness, community, empowerment, joy, respect, generosity, and service. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, they all reinforce one another. Um, but they're all ones that are action-oriented and that we can choose every day um, to try to be more of each of them. And if we do, uh, it just makes our world a better place. Uh, it is so powerful, and I'm so glad to hear that uh, respect has made it in your list. Um, the one mm. thing we can't talk about enough is what that means for each of us individually. Um, it is a universal, um, let's call it a universal virtue that you put in a book, and I want to ask you about this. It's hard, isn't it, to remember how powerful respect is when we are so far down on the scale of what's available to us that we have to hold the respect mm -hmm. for ourselves regardless about that. What did you discover in the book about it? What I've seen is that um, so much of it begins with really trying to, to listen and understand. And one of my um, favorite stories is in a completely different context, but it was so moving to me and, and consistent with my personal experience of visiting Habitat's work in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And it's a story of, of Vic Rombach and his friend Jim, who came from Michigan and led a group of, of U.S. Uh, veterans of the Vietnam War and some younger veterans to build in Vietnam. And they built alongside uh, veterans, Vietnamese veterans of the war and built four families who had been impacted by the war. And it is such a story of catharsis and healing and learning and mutual respect um, and using, in a way, the, the process of building for everyone involved to focus on what they had in common as opposed to uh, those, those things that separate us. And it's, um, I think it's, it's those stories of people crossing barriers, whether it's socioeconomic, racial, uh, ethnic, um, and all the other ways that we tend to, to separate ourselves. And it's not our primary mission, but I think um, I've seen such beautiful examples through Habitat of people building bridges instead mm -hmm. of uh, and, and knocking down the walls that separate them. I, I love to be able to talk about this. There's a line I wrote down from the book, um, and I think it was uh, President Carter was, was saying this, and, and I wrote this quote down. It was one person offering their hand to another in a time of need and doing so in a way that has a positive effect on everyone fortunate enough to be part of it. See, to me, that has not just personal meaning for me, but we don't quite understand the power of that hand touching another. Mm 
in your words, mm. how powerful has that been for you to see? You know, it, it has transformed my own life, and I think it's where it goes from being a theoretical thing to, to personal. And I think about, you know, my first experience when I was working for Disney forever ago, coming out and volunteering with my team on a Habitat Build site, and, it, you know, working alongside the family, learning. They were actually buying the house and putting in the sweat equity and doing uh, so much work, but it was the chance to, it moved housing from a conceptual thing to uh, making it real and personal. This was, you know, these are real people who want all the same things for their family that, that I wanted for mine. And the sense of community out on that build site was something that kept me coming back. And I've now had the privilege for 15 years of working full-time with Habitat, and I get to see this all around the world. Mm. And it is, um, it is, I wish I could describe, last week, I mean, it's a perfect example. Um, we just did our 36th annual build with President and Mrs. Carter, and we were in Nashville, Tennessee, to put a spotlight on the, on the uh, incredible acceleration in housing prices in Nashville, as well as to bring national attention to the, the need for safety and affordable housing. And, and President Carter, as I teased him, got lots of attention because right before the build, he first turned 95, and then he had, unfortunately had a fall and, and cut his head mm -hmm. and, uh, and still came out and built every day. And as he shared, um, as he does so consistently, said, you know, I get more out of this than what yeah. I'm able to put into it. And yeah. almost every time I interact with the family, and uh, we were working uh, alongside Tara and her daughter, and, uh, and she's the kind of person who makes her community better. She's a social worker with a master's degree who is um, counseling at-risk youth. And, um, and shouldn't she have a decent place to live to, to raise her daughter? So I think um, when, we, when it becomes personal and relational, uh, that's when we start seeing community happen. Yeah, it is. You know, um, I I also want to acknowledge, you know, my stepmom is from the Deep South. Like, Grandma had an outhouse and a potbelly stove, right? And there is mm. something that President Carter talks about in the book that, boy, I wish we could duplicate it. And I think you all are. It's that sense, that same feeling of people coming together, you know, that live by our faith, but beyond our faith, that live by the right doing of helping another rise up. And I think most of the time we don't think about the angels in our lives that have come you know, before us and helped us, and we were able to borrow on their faith. I think that's what this book is about. It is really a book for our time right now, and it's a book for each of us to remember that as small as your hand may be, the touch of a hand to another is more powerful than any words. And I think through your book and your initiative and what you and President Carter and the entire team there at Habitat have do, are doing and continue to do, you have set a blueprint and a pathway that carves out and helps us navigate through the dark corners of our heart to remember who we truly are in humanity. And I, I was so looking forward to saying that to you all. Oh, it's beautifully said, and I think it's so true. You know, sometimes it feels like there are two worlds. There's a the world we see in the headlines where there's fear and discord and polarization, and then the world you just described so beautifully where um, people will sacrificially go out to mm -hmm. give a helping hand to a neighbor uh, or a stranger, and uh, and we sometimes underestimate the incredible ripple of impact of those small gestures of just 
treating people uh, as as, mm-hmm. as human beings and fellow travelers with us. And we don't have two worlds. You know, we yeah. don't get the same one. And, and we get to choose every day how we're going to live in it. And, um, and I do hope uh, this will encourage people to, um, you know, to choose to find our better angels in the everyday and uh, and in small ways and big, uh, cling to these virtues, but, but more importantly, put them into practice in our communities. I love it. I know you've got to run. I hope you will somehow come back and arrange for a longer interview. I hope you'll be able to do that. But for now... Please tell folks how they can get a copy of the book, how they can find out more about Habitat, and then your personal message, what you'd like to leave us with. Thank you for all that you're doing. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Pat. I look forward to it. And if people um, are open to it, I would love for them to go to habitat.org slash betterangels. That's habitat.org slash betterangels. They can learn more about the book uh, and where to find it, but they can also learn more about Habitat and how to get uh, involved if, if they would like to. And, and I do want your listeners to know that, that 100% of my proceeds um, are going straight to Habitat. So this is uh, if they buy the book, they are helping more people get uh, safe, decent, affordable housing. But I hope, I think my the call to action I really hope is that they will be encouraged um, and touched by stories of everyday people um, really creating transformation mm-hmm. and change and that that will encourage them to be those people, uh, to put these virtues into action in their own lives and, and go out and be part of transforming uh, our community and world because we sure need it. Yes, and I want to thank you. And with your permission, we'd love to put an image of the book with a link back to your site. With your permission, of course, we'd love to help get the word out. Awesome. That'd be wonderful, Dr. Pat. Thank you. And I want to say to everybody, Habitat.org slash Better Angels with an S. Please go there. Please check out the book for those of you just tuning in, Our Better Angels. And please remember, please remember, you can be one. We'll be right back. Preceding audio was via a Skype call. You know, one of the things interesting, Jessica and I were talking about, you know, her, she needs a new car. And we were looking at, well, what does that even mean? You know, how do you even begin the process? Um, I got to say that for today, in today's world, there's a lot more information available to you. But the question is, what of that information is any good at all? And if you're somebody that likes to keep searching, 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 you're probably thinking, wow, I don't even know which set of information is good. Where do I begin? What are the features I should look at? Am I even looking at the right things when it comes to the car? So today uh, we are here with Michael Harley, serves as executive director, editor, executive editor for Kelly Blue Book, and he helps the direction uh, that not just the company, but provides us with what we need so that we can have information to make informed decisions. And what that means is that, you know, there's so much information, what's trending, what's not, what are the potholes? Great to have you here today, Michael. Thanks for having me on. Well, let's take a a look a little bit at, you know, uh, at your role as executive editor for Kelly Blue Book. A lot of us are very familiar with with what Kelly Blue Book is. And yet in today's age, we're not familiar at all because things change, times change, cars change, people change, all of the above. Tell us about your role and why finding the perfect vehicle is what we need to tackle 
Well, first of all, all the fall season sales. <laughs> well, first of all, uh, that's, uh, that's a multi-part answer. Let's start at the top. Uh, Kelly Blue Book, uh, you know, I've got a team of 12 to 15 people. We drive about 300 different cars every single year, and they go everything from the least expensive car on the road to the most expensive car. And, uh, you know, it, we cover them comprehensively. We photograph them. We video them. We take tape measures to them, and we're just trying to figure out what really matters. And uh, like you said a second ago, you know, that's the hardest thing for a lot of consumers is trying to figure out what actually matters when they're in the market for a car. And uh, what I generally tell people, first and foremost, is shopping for a car should not take an afternoon. You know, generally expect to look, you know, 60 to 90 days out to start thinking about it. And uh, first thing, figure out what kind of budget you have. You know, how much do you want to spend in a car? And, uh, you know, there was an old adage that says, you know, a car is one of the biggest purchases you're ever going to make. And it's still true. You know, a car is a very expensive proposition. Now, the good news is cars 40 or 30 years ago only lasted 50 or 60,000 miles. Today, if you buy a new car, it's generally going to last five to seven years. And you're more likely going to get bored with it rather than it fall apart. You know, they're going to last 200,000 miles, which is pretty nice. Yeah. And, and you, you know, what's happening, I'm finding today, maybe you can comment on this. What used to be, how should we say it, optional or for luxury cars only are, are now, some of those features are now being provided in, in pretty much all the cars. Um, and do you think safety has driven that decision? Well, first of all, you're totally right. Uh, you know, if we went back 30 years, uh, Completed leather seats were something you would find in a Bentley or a Rolls Royce. Right. And uh, today you're going to find a Toyota Corolla with seated rear seats, which is kind of crazy. Uh, now, the features um, are you're finding them with Walmart cars because the cost of the features has to come down. You know, to heat the rear seats is now pretty commonplace in a lot of automakers. Uh, it's not really driven for safety reasons. Now, some of the safety tech, that is something that's driven. Uh, not only mandatory, but you're seeing it on every single vehicle, which is nice. So, you know, the truth is, a Bentley is no really safer than a Subaru, for example. You know, I'd argue they're both just as safe. Yeah. And, and I think it's because, uh, the consumer has, has really spoken very loud and clear about the things that are important. But let's take a look at this particular time of year. Generally, when people look at the fall, of course, there's the changing colors in some places that you live, but there are a lot of other things that sort of kick in. It's a time for change. You know, it's a time for looking at things that you wouldn't look at. And if you are even close to turning on a television, you will get a advertisement about a car. Um, and, and let's talk a little bit, if we could about how to find that perfect vehicle uh, to fit our lifestyle. What are some of the must-haves right now for you? Okay, as you touched on, uh, it is a season of change. Not only the leaves changing colors, but your car showrooms are changing. The 2019s are going out, and the 2020s are coming in. And, uh, you know, there are a bunch of things to look at if you're trying to figure out the right car to fit your lifestyle. And uh, first and foremost, figure out what your budget's going to be. Next, you got to figure out how much utility you're looking for. Do you need a car? Do you need a truck that can tow? Uh, you want to look at your lifestyle. What do you use a car for? Do you sit in traffic in Manhattan every single day? 
Or do you actually go to the mountains? Or do you actually literally want to drive your vehicle down Bismo Beach someday? Uh, you want to look at fuel economy. Uh, cars in the old days just ran on gasoline. Today they run on gasoline. They run electricity. They run on compressed gas. They have a hybrid vehicle that run on a little of everything. Uh, you want to look at the safety technology. There's so many safety features that are standard. And like you said, there are safety features that are optional. You can figure out what you want. You know, do you have a teen driver? Do you have someone that has 40 years of experience that doesn't need some of those, those safety nannies? And last but not least, you want to look at the technology. Cars today are as sophisticated as a computer. And you need to weed through all that stuff and figure out how much tech do I really need? You know, what am I looking for? What will make me happy? Yeah, and I love the whole tech conversation because you don't know uh, what you're missing until your neighbor gets a car and shows you the bells and whistles and you think, oh, I should have got that. Um, but there's a lot of information these days out there to help people decide. Um, do you do you have your list of go-to I must have? I know I have mine. Um, you know, I know I have my list. I lease a vehicle because I lease it for company reasons. And I also live in the Pacific Northwest. And if you live in the Pacific Northwest, there's a hill around every corner. And if you decide to even go across the state, you better be able to get over the, the, the three or four passes that are there. So it's a, it's a very specific thing that I found out late in the game. But how about you? Is there a favorite list that you might have? I always tend to uh, tell people lean. I personally also lean towards the safety equipment uh, yeah. for vehicles that are going to have a lot of safety equipment because safety equipment is something you're never ever going to regret until the day you don't have it. Yes. And uh, I also tend to like vehicles that are all-wheel drive yeah. because it gives you that four-season capability. I also like vehicles that are comfort, comfortable and have a lot of technology. And uh, like you said, nothing's worse than uh, trying to save 20 or $30 a month and realizing that your phone doesn't have, you know, Apple CarPlay or Android. <laughs> and uh, all your neighbors do. And, uh, you know, you spend an awful lot of time in your car these days. All of us do. And uh, being, you know, in the for the most part, you know, making that investment, you know, is going to pay back in stronger resale value to make a good decision up front. I think so, too. Uh, first of all, let me ask you. This is the number one question. What is your recommendation on where people should go to start looking? Obviously, I would start online immediately. And of course, every automaker has a very robust website where you can literally go and build all the cars. But, uh, you know, I work for Kelly Blue Book and we go out of our way to build an exhaustive, you know, comprehensive <laughs> website that allows you to figure out whether you're looking for a sedan, whether you're looking for a pickup truck. Yeah. And uh, you can configure prices. You can see what your used vehicle is worth. And, uh, you know, but where you want to start shopping, is start shopping online. Uh, and is there a website folks can go to? Uh, Kelly Blue Book is kbb.com. Um, okay. A couple, couple more like uh, rele relevant but not relevant. Uh, luxury. We have to admit this. While safety is a big issue, comfort luxury and i'll tell you what seems to be at the top of the list now for a lot of people that i talk to is the noise factor um i had a friend of mine going out looking at cars and i said well if you go look at that car make sure you drive it on the highway uh with the windows closed and just listen to the noise um what are you finding in comfort there's a lot of new gadgets widgets bells and whistles 
comfort today is uh, defined as convenience. And uh, in the old days, luxury was how soft can you make my feet? Right. And luxury is, hey, you're saving me time. You're making my life easier. You're making me worry about one less thing. That is almost like the, today's definition of luxury. And, uh, you know, when I would go with cars, um, obviously you want to make sure the seats are comfortable. You want your lumbar support and you want your memory seats. But, uh, you also want to make sure they have the features you're looking for, all the, the so-called bells and whistles. And he talked about quietness. And uh, yeah. a lot of cars are going out of their way today. They have um, interiors. They have noise-canceling systems. They have thicker glass. Uh, you want something that's aerodynamic that has, uh, you know, so you're not going to hear the wind rushing by. Right. And, but you bring a very, very good point. You know, after you've done all your research, test drive the cars. Go drive everything from Subarus to Fords. You just want to get in the car and try them because every automaker takes a slightly different approach to the noise and the features and the comfort. Uh, okay, take a trip with me three three years out. Okay. What are you seeing on the horizon? And I'm not going to hold you to it, but I just want to know from your perspective, last question, what do you see on the horizon that people should keep their eye out for in future automotive design? Uh, future automotive design, you're going to see more character, more uniqueness. There was a period in the 80s and 90s when every car sort of <laughs> into the same sort of shape because aerodynamicists, the guys that work with the wind, were taking control. Nowadays, you're getting more vibrant colors. You're getting... Uh, more character lines because the stylists are saying, let's be different because what stands out isn't the fact that you've got four wheels and a trunk and a hood. It stands out how you style it. You're going to see more chrome, more blacked out areas, more, uh, my vibrant faces, front and rear faces. It's just, you're going to see a lot of style, some cool stuff coming out. Well, I got to tell you, I own, uh, probably one of the few in the Pacific Northwest, candy apple orange. SUVs. Wow. It's a color that one of the companies came out with. Other companies have tried to follow in suit, but this is like your old school candy apple red. This is candy apple orange. And for That's me, cool. it is very cool. But here's the deal. I live in the Pacific Northwest. It is gray a lot. When I go outside to look at my car, I just want to smile. <laughs> that, that, a car is a very emotional thing. And uh, the last thing yes. I want to leave you with is yes. if you don't smile when you look at your car, it's going to be painful to make the payment. And, uh, you, <gasps> oh. want to, you want to do something that makes you smile. Oh, boy, you nailed it. Thank you so very much. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.